Our lesson this morning comes from the 15th chapter of the book of Romans, starting with the fourth verse of that chapter. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, and the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You Methodist people are so, so very helpful to we clergy types. Whether you know it or not, you walk in and you pretty much sit in your seat. Even having moved the seats, you still sit in in your seat. And we learn sort of where you sit, and we have in our memory banks a seating chart, and we can kind of reflect on who was here and who wasn't here. I'll bet, I've not investigated it, but I'll bet within two or three parking places, you have the same parking place on Sunday morning. And you perhaps get in a less than spiritual mood when somebody is in your parking place. But we look around on Sunday morning to see who's here and, and we watch you while we preach and, and we know when you're there with us and you're listening and you're engaged and, and we know when you're praying for us. And some of you pray so intensely that the person sitting next to you can put the elbow right here and you don't even flinch. That's deep prayer. And sometimes we look at you and we see expressions that are, well, scary. Just absolutely scary. It happened the first Sunday I was at this church. I looked and there she was on the, my far left side, sitting up against the, the aisle, against the wall, third seat back. And it was June and the air conditioners at that church were so old, we had nicknamed them Weezer. I mean, they were old air conditioners. It was hot in that sanctuary, and she was wearing an overcoat in June. She had 
horn-rimmed glasses, a hairstyle that looked like it had been stolen from the 1930s. And during that whole sermon, her facial expression did not change. It didn't change. If I said something mildly amusing, didn't change. If I said something mildly emotional, didn't change. She had her eyes glued to the preacher with this look that I've seen in a second grade teacher that after class, young man, I'm going to make you clean the erasers. She had one of those looks. Scared me to death. Second Sunday, there she was again. Same horn-rimmed glasses, same overcoat. It's now the end of June, looking at me intensely. I felt the fear of the Lord. Couldn't make her smile. Couldn't make anything. Hmm. Then I found out her name was Gladys. Oh, this is not good. She's a Gladys. It's an intimidating name, Gladys. On through the month of July, she continued to look with great intensity as I preached. Never went to the back door. She always came in through this Sunday school class and she went out through this Sunday school class. I'd found out her name was Gladys Ray. That was her full name. And finally, since I'm calling names and he's forgotten he did it, finally, Dan Madden said to me, hi, Dan Madden, I'm working you in the sermon. Dan Madden said to me, Doug, you really ought to go see her. And I said, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want to go see her. Doug, you really need to go see her. Okay, Dan, I'll go see her. It was with great enthusiasm that I called Gladys Ray and I said, I'm going by to see you. When do you want to see me? She said, you can come by my house at two o'clock today. I'm thinking, great. It's August. It's two o'clock in the summer. This ought to be fun. And I walked in her front door and discovered that Gladys Ray did not believe in air conditioning, even in her front room. It was sweltering hot in that house. And she was just as happy as she could be to see me. We sat down and started having a conversation, and I found out that Gladys Ray was a graduate of Normal, Northwestern State University, Normal. It's where all the teachers were taught in the 20s and 30s. And I found out that Gladys, because she was going to be an elementary school teacher in Louisiana, they couldn't be married. Did you know that? Back in the 20s and 30s, elementary school teachers in Louisiana were not allowed to hold a license to teach and hold a license for holy matrimony. And she and her husband, Jack, had eloped, and she didn't tell the school board for a couple of years. And I thought, well, that's why she's looking at me like that. She should have been incarcerated. That's guilt on her face. And she kept unfolding the story. And as she talked, I found out another thing about Gladys Ray. She giggled. She giggled all the time. She'd tell me a funny story about herself and she'd giggle and she'd tell me a funny story about somebody else. She just had the sweetest little giggle. And I got ready to leave and I told her how much I enjoyed the visit because I really did enjoy the visit because she had a, a beautiful, winsome smile. She was a sweet lady. And she said, by the way, preacher, 
All my friends, and I now count you as one of my friends, they call me Chick. Chick? Was that a 60s thing? No, no, no. It was my, my daddy said I just ate like a little old chicken just pecking at my food. The next Sunday, there was the same lady sitting on the third row, overcoat, horn-rimmed glasses, school teacher hairdo, because she was, looking at me the way she always had, but that was Chick Ray. That was a sweet, dear lady that giggled. My perspective had changed because I saw her in a different light, in maybe, we, shall we say, a true light. Advent and Christmas invite us to look down into the manger of Bethlehem and see Jesus in that helpless infant light. Who in this room is going to be afraid of an infant? They draw us in. They, they invite us to pick them up and, and coo with them and love on them. They, they can demand our attention when they're hungry or need something changed. But everybody in this room, whether you've got one or not, knows what to do with an infant. We know we're not afraid. We know we're in the presence of absolute and complete love. Advent and Christmas invite us to look at the God of all creation as Bethlehem's baby. This time of the year invites us to look at God in the true light. He has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul, as he writes to the church at Rome, he hasn't been there yet. This is his introductory lesson. And he's telling the church at Rome that they need to look at God through the lens of Jesus Christ and see God in the true light of his love and his grace. And I want to say just two things about looking at Jesus in true light and, and what Paul said in this passage. First one is found in the fourth verse. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that by steadfastness and by encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. I want to tell the translators of the new revised standard version, you, you, you need, you shouldn't have changed a word because what it says in Greek is for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction so that by endurance and by encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Endurance and encouragement of scriptures. The Greek word that is translated in this version, steadfast, that I translated as endurance is the Greek word hupomone. And hupomone means a warrior at the center of the battle who is not backing down, who is not backing off, who is taking the brunt of the battle. The Greek word is a compound word and it's based on the verb to abide, meno. And it has with it the prefix put on the front of it that uh, means through. So literally endurance in Greek is translated as uh, through abiding, 
Through abiding in Christ, we can be steadfast. Through abiding in Christ, we can practice endurance. And the second word that is translated encouragement is actually the Greek word that John uses when he's describing the Holy Spirit as the comforter. So Paul is saying to the Romans that you have hope. You have not this esoteric, ethereal hope that you may have dreamed up. You have a hope that comes from an outside source. You have a hope that comes through abiding in Jesus Christ. You have a hope that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have a hope that is real. You have a hope that is tangible. You have a hope that you don't have to stir up. It comes to you as a gift. Earlier in Romans, Paul said it this way, but we boast in our suffering knowing that suffering produces, ah, endurance. There's hupomone again, that through abiding and endurance through abiding produces character and character produces hope and hope what? Hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because we don't stir up hope. Hope comes to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Hope comes to us as we see Christ in his true light. It is a tough hope. It is a real hope. It is a tangible hope. It's the hope we sing about in that that carol, O little town of Bethlehem. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hope of eternity is met in that baby of Bethlehem. One that gives us that tough hope that comes through abiding in Christ, that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we see Jesus in true light, we see the light of hope in him. We also see the light of healing. There is already a rift in the early church, and the rift is between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the church is being inundated with all these Gentile folks that are coming to Christ, that are coming to be a part of this this movement called Christianity and coming to be a part of the church. And the Jews who have been around don't know what to do with the Gentiles. They don't know if they need to make them Jews first and then have them be church members or just go ahead and let them join the body of Christ. So they're struggling. And Paul says, look, God has already healed this rift in Christ. That the divide between Jew and Greek or slave and free or male and female has has been brought together through the binding, through the power of God's Spirit in Jesus Christ. Jesus brings us healing. The shepherds are told to go to Bethlehem to the city of David, for unto you has been born this day in the city of David a Savior. And Luke uses a medical term, which means to be made whole, to be made to be healed. Jesus brings us healing. Man, we need that. We have all kicked into problem-solving mode here at Advent. We're trying to figure out how to get enough freezer space to put everything in the freezer for all those people who are coming to visit us. 
We have tried to figure out the menu to cook for all those people coming to visit us. Where are they going to stay? Do I have enough gifts? Do I have the right size of the gifts I've got? And we are in a constant problem-solving mode right now. Give us a problem during Advent or Christmas, and we will solve it. If we can't solve it, we will wrap it up very nicely, and the package will look really good. And I want to maintain that most of our problems are relational. When you step back and you look at it, most of the problems we have, most of the problems we face in life are relationship-based. Either we have bad relationships or we have relationships that are not profitable or we haven't made enough good relationships over here. And so what I want to say is when we kick into problem-solving mode, what I think we're called to do is to kick into Jesus mode, that we need to look to Jesus. Rather than trying to figure out how to solve all of our problems, we need to look to Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. We need to look to the one who would promise us he would bring us life abundant. We need to trust that Jesus is going to bring healing to our relationships, that Jesus is going to bring healing to the situations we find ourselves in. We can't heal ourselves as much as we would like to. But when you understand it's about broken relationships, you can then enter in the source of healing. If you understand that you at the same time are both a sinner and a saint, You're both a sinner and a saint. You live in a polarity. You live in a paradoxical relationship. And it is true that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. So heal my heart, God. Put a new and right spirit within me, God. Let it start with me, God. Oh, we love to give those lists where we tell God, God, you know, Billy Bob, Billy Bob needs to stop doing this and he needs to start doing this. And, and, and we just go on all throughout our list telling God of all the things that people need to do when in fact it's us. Put a new and right spirit within me. Put new thoughts in my heart and in my mind. Help me live as a saint, God. Rather than a problem solver, I just want to walk with Jesus. And whatever the problem is, I want to give it to God. I want to say, God's going to handle that. God's going to take care of that. I'm going to trust God for that. What kind of radical position would that put us in if we were God trusters for our challenges and for our problems? We need to see Jesus in the true light of hope. We need to see Jesus as the true light of healing. This is the season of lights. Stage is all pretty with all these twinkly lights, isn't it? And Christmas, you got to put the lights out. And I was putting the lights out yesterday, and I don't know about your life, but I am only allowed one string of C9 Christmas bulbs. C9, those are the bulbs that Jesus wants you to have. Those are the big bulbs. Not the LED bulbs. These are the old kind of bulbs that get really hot when you try to unscrew them. I have them. And they are on my front porch. And they have to be put in a certain order. White, orange, green, red, blue. Repeat. White, orange, green, red, 
blue. You know how I learned that? Because last year I put the orange lights and the red lights just right beside each other. Miss Tamara made me took them, take them all down and rearrange them. Because that's how God wants the front porch decorated. White, orange, green, red, blue. <laughs> and then I was putting the inflatables up. You know what I discovered about my inflatables last night? Number one, don't put inflatables up when the wind is blowing. <clears throat> and I didn't know this. If you have three inflatables on this side of the sidewalk, you've got to have three inflatables on this side of the sidewalk. And we'd retired Rudolph. His little red nose <laughs> going out. So I've either got to buy a new Rudolph or I've got to take one of the other inflatables down. But I had my inflatables up and I had the lights up and this lady drove by the house down 8th Street in Gibsland. Only in Gibsland, Louisiana can you have streets that are perpendicular, both be named streets. You know, usually something's going to be an avenue. Not in Gibsland, 8th Street intersects Main Street and there she pulled down 8th Street and pulled kind of Almost up in my yard, and I heard the window go down. Brother Doug, uh-oh. Brother Doug, can you come here? I want to ask you a question. Going, okay, she's not Methodist, so I know she's not going to ask about that subject. Let's move on. So I innocently walked over to her car. Brother Doug, what are you doing on December 17th? I said, I don't know that I'm doing anything. Brother Doug, we're having a Christmas party at our church and Santa Claus needs a helper. Would you be Santa's helper at our church Christmas party? And I thought, I was keeping all this weight off and you want me to put on a Santa Claus outfit. You really want me to be Santa Claus? Let, let, me, let me demonstrate my Santa Claus to you. Ho... Ho, ho. You still want me to be Santa? Yes, Brother Doug, would you come be Santa Claus? So I'm inviting you to the First Baptist Church of Gibson, Louisiana on December 17th to see if my ho-ho gets any better. I got to live into this whole Santa Claus routine. Uh. This is now the third time I've done this and the two other times I've had terrible experiences being Santa Claus or Santa's helper. But I'm going to practice and rehearse and put on the costume and become. That's part of what Paul is saying. That there are moments we put on Christ that we may not think it fits very well, and we may not think we're doing a very good job of being a Christian inside it, but we put on Christ, and we learn. We learn that God gives us hope. We learn that Christ brings us healing. We learn that our perspective can change when we see Jesus in a different light and when we learn to see our world in a different light. 
Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.